So uh, I mentioned last week uh, the Lord had kind of was pressing on me about taking a break from Matthew for a little while. Uh, been praying about it for a while. Uh, I, th- I think the only resolve I have is to finish the Sermon on the Mount um, because it would be weird to come back and pick up back in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. So uh, we will be finishing the Sermon on the Mount, but I want you to continue to pray with me that the Lord would lead us uh, where He wants us to, where He wants us to be. So pray with me that the Lord would confirm that uh, as I'm studying and praying through these things. Um, So join me in that. But we will come back to Matthew and pick up chapter 8 whenever we conclude whatever God has for us. Matthew 8, things change gears and it gets, it gets fun. Um, and so I'm excited to get back into it. But I think uh, a change of pace as far as the book we're in would be good for us and healthy. Um, so with that, let's, let's read Matthew 7, 1 through 5. And then I want us to pray. Matthew 7, verses 1 through 5. This is the words of Christ. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye and then you will clearly see to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Let's pray. Spirit of God, we ask that your presence would lead and guide in the reading, the preaching, and the hearing of your word. May you bring fruit 40, 60, 80, 100 fold for the sake of your kingdom and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, the first two words of Matthew 7, 1 through 5, might be the most misused and abused words on earth in from the Bible. Judge not, or don't judge, however you want to say it. Um, perhaps it might be the most quoted verse of unbelievers, more than likely. They might not even know they'd be, that they're quoting Jesus when they say, do not judge, or judge not. Um, and a lot of the times when an unbeliever uses that or an unrepentant sinner, whether they call themselves a believer or not, when they use it, they're usually jabbing at, it, at another Christian, at a believer. Don't judge. As if, uh, you know, you, you see kids, they get in trouble, or one kid sees another kid getting in trouble, and they say, you remember what Dad said? It's almost like people want to use these words as saying, oh, you Christian, remember what Jesus said, don't judge. You're going to get in trouble. And I wonder if we we really thought about it, how many millions of people through the span 
since Christ said these words that they have actually quoted him. And while they use these words, they are wrong and miss the point. But we expect that from the world. We expect them not to understand Jesus. We expect them to get his words wrong, but we don't expect the church to get this wrong. Um, Christians across the world are getting this wrong. And I don't, we don't want to say this in, with chest puffed out. Uh, if we get anything right, it's because God is gracious to us. But there are churches, there are pastors and elders across the country today, this morning, whether it's or any Sunday morning, that they are teaching their, belie- their Christians, believers, that they ought not judge. They're wrong, but why are they doing it? They've gone soft, number one. Uh, They've gone soft on sin. And they've gone soft against the world. They've buckled because they want to be like the world. And they think if we have a message that is gentle and easy and we do not judge, then maybe we can save the world. There's a lot of problems with that, and maybe we can get to those later. Uh, But the other reason they might do it is to cover up their own sin. And that's pretty self-explanatory, but how would they get to this point? How how do they do this? Well, for the believer or the unbeliever, uh, they're, in a nice way of saying, biblically illiterate. They don't know their Bible. If you misquote Jesus, it's because you don't know your Bible, believer or unbeliever. You haven't read it, or if you have, you don't actually study it. And I don't mean with a pencil and a paper, and I mean you don't care about it. Or the other way you might come to a false conclusion of what Jesus says is that you just pick the parts you do like, which happens in this verse. If they actually considered the rest of the sentence, they might understand that Jesus was saying more than just don't do something. We have to know the Bible as the Bible, not just the verses that we like or the words that we like. Jesus does not command us not to judge. I'll just tell you right now, he, but he, he is telling us to judge rightly. To judge rightly. He says in, I think it's Luke, for the sake of time, I'll read it to you. Do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. That's Jesus. He just told us to judge. But not by appearance, but with righteous judgment. You know, it's, we all agree in this one. Don't judge a book by its cover, right? We can all get on that. That's just a secular way of saying what Jesus just said. You don't judge by appearance, but that which is within, the content. You look beyond the surface. Be ethical and moral about your judgment, not shallow. Also, to show you that Jesus does want you in some sense to judge, you just look at the end of this passage. Because we talk, he talks about the, the illustration he gives in this judging is taking a speck from someone's eye. 
Well, if Jesus didn't want you to judge, then he wouldn't have told you at the end of the, the section to actually take the speck from the person's eye. That's how he concludes this thought. And so we'll pick that back up again. So as we go through this this morning, I got pretty much three main points. Number one, the command and warning that he gives in verses 1 and in and a little bit into 2. And then I want us to look at the wrong way that he teaches to judge and the righteous way that he teaches to judge. Um, now, I just want to preface the rest of all this with saying, you, you're playing with fire here. And that's the whole point of Jesus' teaching, is he wants you to understand that you are playing with fire. Verse 1, the command and warning, judge not that you be not judged. Well, let's first understand what he means when he says the word judge. Um, to decide. I, I want to kind of escalate the definition, the way the Greek kind of lays it out. To decide, to come to a conclusion, right? To make a decision about something. But the Greek takes it a step further and says this is more can be looked at as a legal decision a legal decision so it's written like it's uh it's very important it's not just something we're not talking about the type of pizza you like we're talking about judging making a decision coming to a verdict on a human being their actions their words their sin we don't take this lightly. And you, you can take it even further that this word, and I think as it might be rendered in the KJV. No, it's in another section I'm thinking. Condemned. To condemn is to judge. Those words can be used interchangeably in some of these passages. So it's something to point out here. Just like last week when we talked about anxiousness, and also just like the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, hatred, lust, loving enemies, we're talking not just about what can be seen, but we're talking about what's going on within your head and heart. And so you might be doing this and no one know it. And I'd say you probably are. This is an internal issue. As the theme on the Sermon on the Mount and the theme of Scripture, the call that Jesus wants you to understand is a call to change, a call to repent. And as we said last week, a change of mind. Because if you're judging, where does it begin? In your thoughts, in your head. And Jesus is calling you to have a change of mind and the, re the response is, yes, Lord, change my mind. With your help, with the Holy Spirit, change my mind. Can people change? The world says no, but Christ says yes. Okay? People change by the power of God, by the, by the gospel of Jesus Christ, and through the dwelling indwelling Holy Spirit. Here's another thing about judging in this context. And I stated, started to state this earlier. 
you are really good at this. We are really good at judging. It comes so natural to us. I mean, it's literally like breathing. You see something or someone, and it is almost our instant response within us to judge their actions or to judge their words. It's our way of hiding what we don't want to be judged by or of. Don't look at my sin, look at theirs, right? Redirecting the judgment away from us. And this command and warning, this command cannot be separated from the warning. And that's where we get, it's our first mess up, is we separate the command from the warning. Now, here's, here's a, an example. If you grew up and your mother said constantly, do not go in the street. Every day she told you, do not go in the street. You heard it over and over again to the point where you're like, I cannot go in the street. And neither can you. We should not go in the street. Because that's what I've been taught. The command is not to go in the street. And so you get to the street and you're like, this is a bad thing. I've been told by my mother over and over again that I cannot go in here. And you see someone starting to go in the street and you condemn them because you think, because you have heard this command over and over again, that it is a bad thing to step in the street. But if you got the command with a warning, the it might give a little bit more clarity to the command. Don't go in the street because you'll get hit by a car. Right? Oh, okay. So you're saying, if I go on the street and I'm careless, I'll die. Oh, okay. So I probably shouldn't go on the street carelessly. It's not wrong to be in the street. Could you imagine someone growing up and like going out on a first date and they get to the street and the, the your, your person on your date with, they go to cross and you're like, I can't do this. This is a moral issue. Because you don't have an understanding of the point of the command. You're not forbidden from ever going into the street. You're forbidden of being careless while you go into the street. So we look at this command, judge not that you not be judged. The command is don't judge so that you won't be judged. Okay? So maybe he's telling me there's something about how I ought to judge. Verse 2 helps us see this a little bit more. Look at verse 2. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Oh, okay. So the warning necessarily isn't about the act of judging, but maybe it's about how I do it. Because he says, for if you 
judge or for with the with the judgment you pronounce, that's how you do it, you will be judged. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So let's go back to the street analogy. If we wanted to continue with this in verse 2, do not go into the street or you'll get hit by a car. For if you are careless in the street, you will get hit by a car. It it was helpful for me. I hope it's helpful for you. Again, he's not outlawing being in the street. But he's warning you, if you go into the street a certain way, a bad thing will happen. So here's the argument I want us... Here's my argument for what Jesus is saying. And, And throughout... Well... In this passage and throughout Scripture, Jesus presents a wrong way and a right way to judge. Now think, and you're probably still stuck with that word judge, like, oh, that, that's a bad thing. To come to a conclusion, to make a decision about someone and their actions or their words. In this passage and in all of Scripture, Jesus presents Always a wrong way and a right way to judge. And he wants his people to do it the right way. He does not want you to hide from it altogether and to be scared of it and to think that it is a moral issue just to do that thing. No, he wants you to do it and he wants you to do it rightly. But as I said, you are playing with fire. Please hear me. This. Please, please hear this. You are playing with fire when you, when you come to this topic be very careful because you can't handle the consequences of doing it wrong that is why jesus is saying this is because you cannot handle the consequences of doing it wrong so we get our chest puffed out when we hear the world say don't judge me well you might want to listen because you're probably judging the wrong way and you might want to take a step back but i'm getting ahead of myself So let's spend the rest of our time looking at the right and the wrong way. The wrong way, number one, is the hypocrite's judgment. And the right way is the holy or righteous judgment. So number one, the hypocrite's judgment. Uh, We kind of get this, where we kind of see the wrong way to judge is actually in verse 2. Let's say... You're going to go buy lumber. And at your store, they sell lumber by the, not the metric system, what's it called? Inches and feet. Standard. But you take a meter stick. And you go and measure what you need with a meter stick. And you show up to the store and you're like, yeah, I need about 75 meters of lumber. And they'll say, take off. I don't know what that means. You've used the wrong measurement. You've judged your, what you needed wrongly because you used the wrong measurement. Now that example falls apart because you can you know, do the math. But the point is, is that if you are to do some, if you are to make a judgment right now, in your own judgment, you as a human being have the wrong standard, the wrong measurement. When you judge someone, you come to a conclusion that they have failed to meet a standard. You see that, right? If you're going to judge someone in their actions or their words, you say that they have fallen short of 
a standard, whatever that one might be, whether you're right or wrong, as Jesus says, you've not measured up. So the first mistake of the hypocrite is to use the wrong standard or the wrong measurement. And which one do you think they use? Their own. Exactly. Their own. So here's the questions I would then ask you. Who made you God? You have no inherent authority at all. None. You're not the person that says you must be this tall to get on the ride. And that, we all love our Marvel superheroes, but they have no authority. They have no, they have no authority to measure or to judge the wicked. And that's whenever you see those superhero movies, there's always the police officers in the background who have the authority who cannot stand the superheroes because they step on, they step on the actual authority that they have been given. You have none when it comes to tell people whether or not they have measured up or not. The second, so who made you God? The second is you are not God, in case you haven't picked that up. But I want you to, what I want you to understand why I say that is because even if you're trying to hold to a high authority or you think you have authority, your measuring stick, your standard is no good because you are a sinner. You are not God. Who inherits eternal life? The rich young ruler said. God says, or he called Jesus good, and Jesus called him, Jesus said, I'm sorry, Jesus said, why do you call me good? There's no one good but God. So if you're going to apply your standard, know that as a sinner, your measurement, your your standard is flawed to begin with because of your sin. And the third thing is, so the first is, you have no authority, you are not God. Uh, you're not God, you're a sinner. And number three is, you can't even keep your own standard. Can't even keep your own standard. The hypocrite walks around pointing out standards to others, condemning them for meeting it, all the while they're standing on stilts. The hypocrite is walking around pointing out how everyone is falling short, saying, here's the measurement all the while they're hiding their stilts that they're standing on. That's what makes them a hypocrite. Back to the warning in verse 1. The judgmental hypocrite standing on his stilts all of his life or on a box, towering above others, condemning them, One day, Jesus will kick your stilts out from under you. He will smash that box. And the reality of where you stand, where you measure up, will be seen. The hypocrite will see that they have not met the measure. And in the warning, they will be judged. They will be judged by the righteous judge. Look at Romans 2. Now, I, I want to remind you 
You're sitting here listening to me. You're listening to these words. And I don't want you to think, this is not me. It is. It's all of us. Just like anxiousness was such a tough pill to swallow for us last week, and it will be, that that could be a sin, that it is a sin, that it cannot stay an unrepentant sin, if you continue in unrepentant sin of judgment, even if no one knows about it, the outcome is not good. Romans 2, here's the outcome. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges, for in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. Now, what are the very same things? Well, if you look back at 1, verses uh, 29, they are filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are filled with envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness, gossip, slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. You are judging people. Back to two verse, chapter, chapter 2, verse 2. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O oh man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of His kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? What is, what is our response in and our judge our wrong judgmental hypocritical hearts it's repentance it's repentance and god is waiting and he's been patient but don't take his patience as kindness to let you continue to sin more but know that His patience is kindness and that He's given you an opportunity to repent. Verse 5, But because of your hard and impenitent heart, mean unrepentant, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. The hypocritical judgmental heart will be judged by the wrath of God. Call yourself a Christian or not. If this is your heart, you will experience the wrath of God on that day. That's a horrible thing. But chapter 3, verse 21 gives us hope. It gives everyone hope. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and prophets bear witness to it, 
the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Everyone fails to measure up. And all and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. He can wash you clean of even this sin. And you could be, you know what justified means? It means you measure up. It means you measure up before God, by God's standard. But notice it's not by what you do, but it's by faith in Jesus Christ, a gift of grace through the redemption that is, in Christ, that is in Christ, that you receive through belief. God put forward as a propitiation, Jesus, by His blood, to be received by the faith. The blood of Christ was shared for our hypocritical, judgmental attitudes. Even that sin was taken to the cross of Christ. The hope of Christ to cleanse us of all our wickedness. And we cannot be people who say, I'm not that bad. But we say, Lord, these are my sins. Cleanse me of all unrighteousness. And we move on back to Matthew 7, to the hypocrite, the hypocrite's judgment. Here's the other reason why the hypocrite's judgment is wrong is because the hypocrite is disqualified to judge. Seen very clearly in how Jesus explains this in verse 3 and 4. Look at, look at verse 3 in chapter 7 of Matthew. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? So what do we see? We see an unwillingness to admit their own problem. And yet because of that unwillingness to admit their own problem, they're actually blind to see the problems of others. They are disqualified because of their pride. Their pride has blinded them to actually see clearer. They are not qualified to judge. What if you walked it? You, you had an eye appointment. You sit down in the chair. You're a little nervous. And the doctor walks in. And you've been having some problems. And he walks in. And he comes and he opens the door. He's quite a ways from you. And you see that he wears glasses. And you're like, oh, okay. He knows what it's all about. And you look closely. And you realize he has no lenses in his frames. And not only that, and you're thinking, well, that's really weird. Because if he needs glasses, and he doesn't have lenses in his frames, he obviously can't see. And then he starts to walk up to you, and you're like, hang on, man. 
And he was like, okay, I, I'll diagnose you from here. You need surgery. I don't think so. Like, what, what school did you go to, doctor? And he points to his diploma that is written in crayon on the wall. He is disqualified. He does not know that he is even blind. And he, he is so prideful and doesn't know that he puts on frames without lenses and says, I want to fix your sight. No, thank you. You are not qualified to fix me. You're not qualified to help me. And that's what the hypocrite does. They walk in as blind as a bat because that log has blinded their vision and they have no idea. But you know what else they do? They're so blind, they think you have a log in your eye. They turn your speck into a log or you turn someone else's speck into a log. Just like that, oh, I'm going to take that log out of your eye. Like, man, it's a speck, not a log. Pay attention. This is the hypocrite. Unwilling to admit their problem, and they are blinded by their problem, yet want to perform surgery. Think about the illustration. It's on an eye. Like, people get, you try to put eye drops in some of our kids' eyes, they go crazy. But this is, so this is a sensitive thing. It's not just like, oh, I'm going to put a band. We're talking about something very sensitive, delicate, and you could cause, cause great damage. I was reading through Spurgeon and his commentary on this passage, and there were so many good quotes, but this one I, I really stuck to me, and I modernized it just a little bit for us. Surely if I see myself rightly. How many? That's a first hurdle. Do you see yourself rightly or are you blind? Surely if I see myself rightly, I need not send judgment upon other men. For it would be a full-time job just to judge the traitors within me. I got no time to judge somebody else. Because there's a lot of judging I need to do on my own. Verse 4, look at it again. Look at verse 4 again. How can you say to your brother, someone who should be important, and that's not your blood brother. We're talking about someone in our context, a brother and sister in Christ, someone who you share something intimately, greatly with. You should care about them. How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? There is plenty of work to be done in yourself. Do not attempt to fix someone else when you need a lot of fixing. Verse 5. You hypocrite. Would you care if Jesus Christ looked upon your face and declared judgment on you by saying, you hypocrite? May that thought cause you to flee from your pride. May that thought cause your arrogance to be squashed 
And you run to the cross to seek forgiveness through the confession of your heart. And that you would feast upon his word. we, We so desire to see his face and hear good, well done, good and faithful servant. But what if he looked at you and said, you hypocrite. Now the righteous judgment. Verse 5. Verse 5 puts the final nail in the coffin of the never judge argument. As I said earlier. First take the log out of your own eye. And then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. This verse reveals that Jesus is not condemning all judgment. But he condemns the condition of the one who judges. Jesus is not teaching against removing the speck, but he is teaching about the motives and condition of the one removing the speck. It's not about the action, it's about the heart and the motive. You go back to our street illustration. First... Your mother says, look both ways. Then you can cross or go into the street. And you will be safe. So we remove, we start with removing the log. Oh, we could spend a lot of time on this. We don't have the time, so I just... I want to say a few things, point us back to Psalm 113. It begins with humility. It begins with saying, I can't see. It begins by saying, Lord, judge me now. I want you, God, to judge me right now. And that's what Psalm 139 says. You know me. You know me when I'm here, when I'm there, when I'm underneath, when I'm laying down, when I rise up. You formed me. You knew my days before one day ever took place. And so the end of Psalm 139, turn with me. Let's let's read it. Psalm 139. Hold your thumb in Matthew. How do we take the log out of our eye? We cry and pray this to God. Psalm 139, verse 23. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. That word, try is to be judged. It's to be placed on trial. Put me on trial and know my thoughts. To be judged and searched out by God now is the grace and mercy of a loving Father. But to be judged and found out 
on the last day is to feel the wrath of a just, vengeful God. Search me now. Know my thoughts. Put me on trial, God, and declare a verdict. Am I in the wrong? Show me. Look what he says, 24. And see if there be any grievous way in me. Show me my fault, my failure, how I don't measure up. Show me my sin and lead me in the way everlasting. Have God put you on trial. And then you continue day after day putting yourself on trial. Paul, t- uh, Paul says it I'm gonna, uh, to the Corinthians. Just hear me as I quote it. Examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith. Examine yourself. Put yourself on trial. And, you, and then so you, why? What, what, why am I putting myself on trial? Because you're looking for evidence. You're looking for evidence for love of God. A hatred of sin. A love and devotion to Christ. And his church. A desire to lead your family in Jesus. Put yourself on trial and judge yourself. And when the Lord shows you your grievous ways, give thanks and repent. This is the continual process for the follower of Christ. This is keeping your vision clear. So that you might see a speck that is in your brother or sister's eye. This is the process that qualifies you to be a speck remover. And this is a life seeking to follow Christ. And you must remove the speck. We are called to remove the speck. And I say this to finish. We are called to help one another to hold one another accountable. But we must remember the warning. Judges, beware. We are called to judge one another. We are called to love one another in accountability and to help us when... when if I have a log in my eye, please come and tell me. And if you don't tell me, and I'm walking around with a log in my eye, you tell me one thing. I don't love you. And I love you so much that if I see a log in your eye or a speck, I'm going to come tell you. And that's because I love you. So don't be surprised. Think about an operating room. Think about the conditions that must be in a a room where surgery is about to take place. Because think about it. That's what we're doing. We're removing something from someone's eye. Bad conditions lead to infection. Our relationships with one another is the operating room where we help one another remove specks. But if there are bad conditions, bad things will happen. So the checklist for removing specks among one another. Self-examination, continually. Prayer and Bible reading, continually. 
Do not walk up to anyone and tell them there is something wrong with them if you have not considered it once in prayer. Or if you've not been in your Bible for the last three weeks or three years, do not. You will bring out infection. But when you do those things, self-examination, prayer, and Bible reading, a loving motive comes forward. Jesus says, I don't come to judge. He meant in His own, but He comes to judge for the Father's glory and by the Father's standard and for the good of others. And that's how we ought to judge. Not with our measuring stick, not for our glory, but for the glory of God and for the good of our brothers and sisters. This is humility. The speck removing amongst us must be in humility. It must be done with grace, meaning you remember that one day you had a speck in your eye. You had a log in your eye. And then in all that, you are willing to forgive. When the speck is gone, the speck is gone. And that's something we take to home, too, to the workplace. All this is a a representation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we'll go tonight, we'll have some more details on what it looks like to remove specks. Uh, it will coincide with our next mark of a healthy church as we get back into that tonight, which is church discipline. And again, I say, you dabble in these, you're playing with fire. And so let us be humble and approach this in a a prayerful attitude. And may it begin with your prayer that God judge you first. And if He reveals to you sin, I plead that you run to the cross and you confess it. And I'd be happy to help you with that. Let's pray.